Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that you would enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit, a spirit of illumination of your word, a spirit of revelation, understanding, and that we would all be able to really be more like you, Jesus, because of this series. It wouldn't be just an intellectual exercise, but we would learn to become not just smarter sinners, but holier saints. Lord, we pray you'd speak to us even now, in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, how well do you know the Bible? In fact, I want to give you a little pop quiz. So here's a few questions for you. What kind of man was Boaz before he got married? He was ruthless. I'm here all week. All right, I'm not done yet. We're just getting warmed up. <laughs> Who was the first drug addict in the Bible? Nebuchadnezzar. He was on grass for seven years. <laughs> All right, who's the greatest comedian in the Bible? Samson. He just brought the house down. What was the first thing that Adam and Eve did after they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden? They raised a little cane. What excuse did Adam give to his children as to why he, they no longer lived in Eden? He told his kids, your mother ate us out of house and home. All right, one more. This is extra credit. Which Bible character had no parents? Joshua, son of Nun. Okay, well, today we're going to begin this series, seriously, on how to study the Bible and why it's so important that each one of us really learns to become a self-feeder, a self-feeder in the Word of God. It's good to have teachers and pastors and good commentaries and so forth to help feed us. But I, but I think it's an unhealthy diet if that's all you have. We need to all know how to feed ourselves from the Word of God. It was God's intention that his people, all of his people, could go to his word and be fed. And so we want to talk a little bit again this morning about why it is so important that we all learn to do this. That's what this series starting today is all about. Now, last week, I began by giving you seven reasons why we should study the Bible, why we should become self-feeders. This morning, I'm going to give you seven more reasons why. But I want to review last week. Some of you maybe not were here, but... But I want just to get these deep into our, our mind, why it's so important that we do this. Now, if you really learn to study the Bible, why it's so important is, number one, we said last week, is it gives life. The Word of God gives life. I mean, it breathes life into you, into you spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. In fact, we read last week about the power of God's Word from the book of Ezekiel, that famous dry bones passage in Ezekiel. And now the word of God can breathe life into the dead and make them alive. I can't tell you how many times I have felt tired, worn out, dry. And in times I had, I had no real desire to go to the word. But I did it. I just did it out of discipline. And as I open it up and I begin to study it, once again, life is breathed into me. 
I mean, there's so much power into becoming someone who regularly studies and feeds themselves on the Word of God. And some of you are, are in a dry place right now. Some of you online, you're, you're dry spiritually. And I guarantee you, if you will plunge into the series, all, everything you got into the series, be involved in the small group, do the memory verses, even do the things we're talking about, I'm going to talk about the end of this message about how you can go deeper. I guarantee you there's going to be life breathed into you. There's going to be a real revival in your spirit spiritually. So number one, it breathes life. It gives life. Number two, we said last week that it saves the lost. The word of God saves the lost. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. It's powerful. New life being born again comes from the word of God, comes from the gospel. There's that much power in it. It can take someone who's dead in their trespasses and sin and cause them to be born again. It's the power of the gospel. Number three we talked about last week is it grows the saved. Not only saves the lost, it grows the saved. The Bible is food for the soul. That's why we named this series Food for the Soul. Here's what Jesus says. He said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so you have a spirit man or a spirit woman for you women here. And if you do not feed your spirit man, you will shrivel up. Your spirit man shrivels up, becomes weak. And it's so important, just like physically, we feed ourselves physically so we'll be strong. You have to feed ourselves spiritually so we'll be strong. If you don't feed yourself physically for a long time, you become weak. And for a very long time, you die spiritually. You dry up. And so just like the physical body, the spirit man, the spirit woman has to be fed. And so it's so important that we do that on a regular basis. And you know how to do that. Number four, we talked about last week that the word of God also protects us against sin. Psalm 119, verse 11, your word I've treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. See, the more we get his word in our minds and into our heart and spirit, the more we are, we are protected from sin. The more we will sin, we'll become less vulnerable to sin. We have less interest in it. We'll be stronger to defend ourselves against it, all because we're taking in the word of God. Number five, we talked about how the word of God also protects us against the devil. To resist the devil and his assaults against us, we're going to have to have strong faith. Where does it come from? Well, the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. Okay, so it is the words of Christ, the words of God that really enable us to protect ourselves against the devil. We saw in Ephesians chapter 6 that when the devil has his flaming arrows that he shoots at us, that we have the shield of faith. And we can extinguish all those attacks of the devil, those attacks of despair and attacks of lust and pride, all those temptations, those oppressive things. We can, we can put up the shield of faith and extinguish all those flaming arrows from the devil. Well, how do we get faith? Faith comes from the word of God. So we have to have a regular intake of the word of God. And we see Jesus modeling this as he is assaulted by the devil in the wilderness and, to, and tempted by the three major types of sin, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, boastful pride of life. And each time Jesus responds to that temptation with, it is written, it is written, it is written. What is he doing? Shield of faith is going up. He's protecting himself with his understanding as, as with the word of God, his reception of the word of God, and he also being the living the word of God himself. I'm going to give you an example of how this works. 
One of uh, my favorite Bible characters is John the Baptist. And John the Baptist does something uh, that's remarkable that I think it's easy to read over this and miss what he just did. And if you remember, John the Baptist had a great following, but he came wanting people to go follow Jesus. But he's still human. He's a prophet, but he's human. And something happened. I want you to read what happened. John 3, 26. It said, and they came to John. These are John's disciples. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan, talking about Jesus, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. They're going, John. Now, again, in his humanity, I think that, that would have been very easy for, for some, uh, some pride to rise up, a little envy. You know, I mean, they're all going after him. I mean, he knows that he came for that, but still he's human. I think it would have been real easy for that to trouble him. But it doesn't trouble him. Why? Because the next thing, John 3, 27, John answered. It said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. Do you guys see how, how profound that is, what he just said? Whatever I got, I got it from heaven. God gave it to me. And me trying to hold on to something, if God gave it to me, no one can take it away. If God didn't give it to me, please take it away. Who wants it? But, that, but he is taking an understanding from the Old Testament. I think he's filled his mind with things that, like out of the book of Daniel that God sets up kings and takes down kings. God is the one who puts people in positions. I don't have to climb my way and claw my way. I don't have to try to hold on to things and manipulate things. But John had all that in him already. So when it happened, and I think the devil would have loved to have, you know, shot an arrow into John's heart at this point and really just kind of get him a little bit envious or prideful, but shield of faith. John knew the truth of the word of God. So when the enemy comes at us with pride and lust and envy and worry and fear and despair and every lie and every temptation, it, the more we take in the word of God, the more that shield is, we're ready with that shield and extinguish arrow after arrow after arrow. So I study the Bible. Last week we said it gives life, it saves the lost, it grows the saved, protects us from sin, protects us against the devil. Number six, we said last week, it cleanses the sinner. Jesus said this in John 15, 3, you are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. There is a cleansing work that the word of God does. The word of God in the fear of the Lord, remember last week, is clean. There's something clean about it. John 17, 17, Jesus praying for his disciples, said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So the more we take in the word, the more we are growing and becoming more like Jesus. There's a cleansing thing that happens in our sanctification process. And the word of God is crucial to that whole sanctification process. And finally, number seven, we said last week, it also makes us successful and prosperous. The word of God makes us successful and prosperous. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. God says this to Joshua, new commander-in-chief of Israel, Moses is gone. Here's what he says. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night 
so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you'll be prosperous, and then you will have success. So again, we see these seven things that we talked about last week. How important is it that I study the Bible? Because number one, it gives life. Number two, it saves the lost. Number three, it grows the saved. Number four, it protects me from sin. It protects me. Number five, number six, it gets the devil. I'm sorry, number six, it cleanses the sinner. Number seven, it will make you prosperous and successful. Now I got seven more for you. All right, number eight. Why should I study the Bible? Because it gives us guidance. It gives us guidance. Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So many of our decisions really are quite simple. As followers of Christ, so many of our decisions can be easily determined by what is the revealed word of God say about that subject. What does it say? I can't tell you how many times I've told people in counseling situations just simply this, do the next right thing. I mean, they're thinking about some grand scheme, and I'm like, what is the next right decision? The Word of God will guide you in the next right decision. Do the next right thing. And God will guide you on a path as you do the next right thing in obeying His revealed Word. The majority of our decisions that we need to make can be made with the wisdom that is informed by the Word of God. So when you have a decision to make, ask yourself the question, does the Bible speak to this decision? If so, what does it say? And then do what it says. Then do what it says. No matter how you feel about it, do what it says. It will be the best way to go, always. See, the problem is most Christians follow the Bible selectively. If it says what they already inclined to want to do, they agree to do it. But if it says to do something that maybe they're not inclined to do, then they rationalize it or twist it. You know, so many Christians, I think, and sometimes even those who, who know a lot about the scriptures have learned to twist the scriptures to fit their lives instead of bending their lives to fit the scriptures. So we have to stay in that position as we're studying to always have that yes in your heart before you even know what God is saying. Have a yes in your heart, and then when you know what he says, just do it. He says, do this, we do this. He says, don't do this, we don't do that. I got a call from a guy just recently. I hadn't seen him in decades. He calls me up. I knew him in high school. I knew him in college. And he's, he's, he found out I was a pastor now. And he starts telling me a little bit about his life and how he and his wife had gotten divorced. And he said, but so I'm getting a fresh start. I'm getting a fresh start, and I'm ready to follow the Lord. I said, great, great. I said, is your wife remarried? He said, no. I said, are you remarried? He said, no. I said, go get back with your wife. He said, oh, no, I'm ready for a fresh start. I said, do the next right thing, reconcile with your wife. So we can't be selective in our obedience to the word of God and expect, a bless, not expect to be blessed by God. If we want the blessing of God, we've got to obey the word of God and do the next right thing. So as we take the word of God in, we're going to have all kinds of understanding on our, our decision making. So, we, so it is true that the word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. All right, also, another thing, I'm going to put two of these together, 9 and 10. The Word of God gives us insight. 
Psalm 119, verse 99. says, I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. So insight, when I take the word of God and I meditate on it, I become a person of greater insight. And number 10, the word of God also gives us understanding. Psalm 119, 130. The unfolding of your words gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So I can have insight and understanding enlightened because of my intake of the word of God. And that'll cause me to be able to make all kinds of wise decisions. Let me explain. All right, let's, let's take a passage like this. One that you've heard, if you've been around here, you heard me go over before. Colossians 1.16 says this, for by him, talking about Christ, by him, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, including us, have been created by him and for him. All right, so I study that passage. I meditate on that. I have been created by Christ for Christ. I let that sink in to my soul and my spirit. That means that I exist to glorify Christ. That should then affect my decision-making process. If I'm wrestling with this choice or this choice, all I have to do in many times is say, which of these choices best glorifies Christ? It's amazing how clear things can get when we apply that. I have some insight and understanding about my situation because the word of God has so informed me that it's, it's given me a sense of insight and understanding about lots of decisions. And I just gave you one simple example of I should decide based on what best glorifies Christ because that's why I'm here. Some of you are facing a major decision <clears throat> right now in your life and you're wrestling with it. And I, I bet most major decisions you're wrestling with could be simplified by just sitting back honestly and thinking which direction, which choice best glorifies Christ. So the more we take in the word of God, the more we'll have insight and understanding in our decision making. Now, some of you would say, but I, I just want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And I'd say, okay, that the Holy Spirit does lead us today and does speak today. Romans 8.14 says, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. We're being led by the Spirit of God. Psalm 32, verse 8, I'll instruct you, God says, and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. So God is still by his Spirit, counseling, guiding, leading us, speaking into our hearts, speaking prophetically. The Holy Spirit is alive and well today in all, in all of the gifts of the Spirit. But here's what I want us to understand, and that is this. Even though God still directly speaks personally to us through the Holy Spirit, it'll always be in agreement with the Word of God. It'll always be in agreement with the written Word of God. It'll never oppose the written Word of God. So if you are being led by the Spirit, then you should be in the Word of God even more so you can test whether or not that really is the Holy Spirit who's leading you. Now, you might say, well, I, I know the difference. Well, it's interesting because here's Peter who's following Jesus, and he's been with him long enough to be able to hear from God the Father in heaven. 
Because Jesus asked Peter a question. He says, and who do you say that I am? And Peter says, what? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, Peter. My father who's in heaven revealed this to you. Wow, Peter heard from heaven. Five minutes later, Jesus tells Peter he must go to Jerusalem. He must suffer and be crucified. What does Peter say? I can't let you do that. I'm paraphrasing. I can't let you do that. And what does Jesus say to Peter at this point? Get behind me, Satan. So Peter hears from God five minutes later, hears from the devil, and he doesn't discern between the two. So if you are going to hear from the Holy Spirit, you must be in the word of God so you can discern that that is indeed the Holy Spirit speaking to you because there are lots of voices out there. We need to make sure we know his voice, how we know for sure. It's not just, it is not just something that I existentially experience. It is something I objectively, not just subjectively, objectively test with the word of God. So we need to be those who can be led by the spirit. We use our insight and understanding, but we continue to test everything with the word of God. All right, number 11. The word of God also gives us love in our hearts. Love in our hearts. Well, 1 Timothy 1.5. But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. If you want to become a more loving person, then become a self-feeder from the word of God. Here's the truth. The truth is we love because he first loved us. The more I know how much God loves me, the better lover I am. The more I know how much God loves me, the more I love him back and the more I love other people. And how do I know more and more that he loves me? From his word. Meditating on the truth of his word. And I become more and more, I get more and more love in my heart because of the word of God. Love for God and love for people. Love in my heart, but he also, the word of God gives me joy in my soul. Joy in my soul. Psalm 119, verse 35. Psalmist says, make me walk in the path of your commandments, for I delight in them. Well, some translations say, for they are my delight. They give me delight. Remember the prophet Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 15, 16. He said, your words were found and I ate them. And your words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I have been called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. I tell you, I love my job. And the greatest joy of my job is that I get to study the Bible hours every week. Hours. And I love it. And it is a joy to me. And, it is, it is, and it's, it's a joy to all of us who will take the time to open up the Bible and become a student of the Word of God. It'll be joy to you. So it gives us love in our hearts. It gives us joy in our souls. 13, it gives us peace in our minds. Psalm 119, verse 165, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. So we get peace from reading God's word, peace in our minds. And it's not the kind of peace that the world offers us, which is only temporary, and, you know, and which really isn't peace at all because it changes so quickly. But God gives us a peace that just settles our hearts, no matter what's going on around us. We can have peace from his word. Okay, love in my heart, joy in my soul, peace in my mind. And finally, number 14, the word of God gives us hope to endure. Hope to endure. 
It's so important that we are the word of God for the days coming, folks. If you're going to be able to endure, because there will be a great falling away. There will, if you're going to endure for the difficulties that are coming our way, and I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm just trying to be real honest and direct with us. There's difficult times coming, and we've got to be those who endure, and the word of God is crucial to this. Romans 15:4 says, For whatever was written in earlier times, talking about the scriptures, was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. 1 Thessalonians 1 3, the Apostle Paul gives thanks for the faith that produced the work, and then for the love that produced the labor, and then for the hope that has produced endurance. How do you get hope? How do you get the hope that gives us endurance? How do you get that hope? It's, you know, hope, the way the world uses the word, of course, simply means the desire for something good in the future, the way the world uses it, desire for something good in the future, that may or may not happen. There's uncertainty in it. The way the world uses the word hope. But the way the Bible uses the word hope is very different than that. The biblical word, um, definition for the word hope is confident expectation and desire for something that's going to be good in the future. See, biblical hope not only desires for something good in the future, it is confident it's coming. It expects it to happen. Not only does biblical hope expect that good to happen, but it's confident it will happen. So biblical hope is a confident expectation that good things are going to come to me, that God's going to fulfill all his promises, all those future things are going to happen. And I can look forward to that, and I know it's coming. And that gives me the strength to keep going, no matter what I'm going through right now, because I know it's coming, and it's going to be worth it. Where does that come from? Where does that kind of hope come from? The Word of God enables us to endure. So here's the 14 reasons why we should all become self-feeders. The Word of God gives life, it saves the lost, it grows the saved, protects against sin, protects against the devil, cleanses the sinner, it makes us prosperous and successful. It gives us guidance, it gives us insight, it gives us understanding, it gives us love in our hearts, joy in our souls, peace in our minds, and the hope to endure. Now, why wouldn't anyone want to have that? And so we're starting this series today called Food for the Soul, and we want everyone involved. So don't say, I don't know, I'll come Sundays, I don't want to be in a small group. We want you in a small group. We want you interacting with other believers about these important truths that and so on your way out, you can grab one of the, work, one of the uh, discussion booklets. All this information is out there in the foyer. You can grab it. You can grab the memory verses. And if you don't have a group yet and you didn't get one today, you can still go to graceonerton.com slash food for the soul. And all that information is there. We also want, I want to encourage many of you to go even deeper. And here's how we're going to do this. Okay, you're going to learn about observation, interpretation, and application. You're going to learn about observation, how to see what's really in the text. Interpretation, what does it really mean? How do I find out what it means? Application, how does it apply to my life? So observation, interpretation, application. And what we're going to do for these next seven Sundays is we're going to take these seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, in each of the seven churches, there is a 
Jesus has something to say to each of these seven churches. The resurrected, ascended Christ is speaking to the seven churches. And each Sunday, I'm going to speak on one of those passages. So starting next Sunday, it'll be the church in Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. And those of you who can get all week long, study that. And I'm going to preach on it next Sunday. And as I'm going through it, I'm also going to point out things that we should observe here. I'm going to talk about interpretation. We're going to talk about application of this passage. So even right now, you can say, okay, I'm going to start jumping in. And by the, by the seventh week, you guys are going to really be able to get into these passages because you're going to learn so much on how to do that on your own. And once I tell you, once you have the joy of discovery, of really learning how to, to go to the Word of God and feed yourself, you know, you, you would just, you're going to be hooked on this. And it's a good kind of being hooked because you're going to be able to feed yourself the rest of your life and spiritually. And so this coming week, be part of one of the small groups. You can get your stuff on the way out the door, all your materials. Be in a small group. Each Sunday, we're going to talk about this series. And, uh, you know, there will be more pop quizzes, so be ready for them. <laughs> you, don't, you, you, know, you don't know what's coming your way. But let's all really be focused on how can I really take this seriously these next seven weeks, next six weeks of small group, and I'm going to go one more week uh, after that. And so continue to get us on a trajectory where we all can continue to grow. Let's all stand, and we're going to close in prayer. Now, before we close, I do want to just say that if you're, this is your first time here, over this welcome corner, my wife Tracy and I will be over there. We'd love to meet you personally. Please come by. And also in this corner, connection corner, all the questions you might have uh, for the, about the church, also about the series, John will be back there. can answer those questions. So let's close in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that you didn't leave us to walk in darkness, that you've given us your word. We thank you for your word. We love you, Lord. We thank you this, for this amazing love letter that you've given us because, Lord, we, our focus through this love letter is you as our lover on the other side, and we're so grateful to know you. We pray you take us all further now than we've ever been, closer than we've ever been, Lord, to you. In the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray, too, this week as we go about our, our, our different schedules that you would use us to really make a difference in the lives of people that we come in contact with. Pray in the name of Jesus.